Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Cynthia North. She's a seasoned marketing professional with consumer and HCP experience. She worked in global and US positions in various therapeutic areas such as neurology, hematology, cardiovascular oncology, allergy vaccines, OTC and managed markets. She has significant experience in patient advocacy development and digital strategies. She's a passionate individual who is an acknowledged change agent. She has been a member of National Hemophilia Foundation, Business Council, and on the Women's International Leadership Advisory Board. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Rutgers University and a Master's in Health Policy and Management from Seton Hall. Hey, Cynthia, welcome to Women to Women podcast series. We're so excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Divi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and thrilled to be able to spend some time with you. So let's get started with uh, where you are today, what you do, and how did you really get here? So I'm in the pharmaceutical business. I got here not through a direct path, but my mom um, is from the Philippines, and she was a registered nurse. She just sadly passed away from pancreatic cancer very quickly, but she was like the driving force in my life. She she was a single mom. So with the two of us were attached at the hip. So if she would go into the office, if it's snowing, right, she'd go into work, she would have no one to watch me. She would literally put me in like an unoccupied patient bed. And I would stay there and watch TV, color, do my homework. So my whole life was really surrounded with healthcare. So I was a candy striper. I don't even know if that exists today where I would help out and deliver water and books to the patient rooms. So I spent my life growing up really in a hospital and exposed to um, you know med- the medical career through my mom as an RN. So of course, just typical, I wanted to be a nurse. So I grew up thinking I wanted to be a nurse. Then when I went to college, my mom said to me, I don't want you to be a nurse. She's like, I know that you want to help patients. I know that you have yearning to make a difference, but I think there are other ways you can do it. She's like, I don't see you changing bedpans, doing what needs to be done. There are other ways that you can fulfill that passion, that why, and you don't need to be a nurse to do it. So I literally went in thinking I'm going pre-nursing, I'm going to be a nurse and completely changed my path to a more business path. And I ended up getting out of school doing something completely unrelated to healthcare. I actually worked for a company called National Cash Registers, NCR. And literally, they sold cash registers. And they still exist today. It was a great experience. I was in New York City, pounding the pavement in a very sales job. Lots of doors slammed in my face. A lot of people. I was in the hospitality part of it. And it was, you know, just a great experience, but it also made me recognize, even though I didn't become a nurse, I needed to do something, even if it wasn't business, that was more closely related to my why, right? I needed, and that's where I kind of pivoted. I went back and I got my master's degree in health policy and management. And then I entered into the pharmaceutical, actually before pharmaceutical, I was in managed care. I worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield, Prudential, and then from there I went to pharma. So I was able to fulfill that need and that want that I always had to help patients and to make a difference, but I did it through the business aspect versus kind of like direct patient care, really from my mother's encouragement. I kind of got here through a circuitous path, but nonetheless, I think it was probably the right path for me looking back, right? It's always easy, hindsight's 2020, but it definitely was right for me. Oddly enough, my daughter 
is pursuing a nursing degree and I didn't dissuade her from doing it. So she's um, at the University of Florida pre-nursing. So kind of where I wanted to be, but I think being in business, I saw that being a nurse, being an NP really does um, have tremendous value, as you know, um, you know, in our industry. I said, do it if that's what you want to do. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens with her. And then my other daughter is also in the pharmaceutical um, industry. So both girls consciously or unconsciously are following also a healthcare passion. That's fascinating. So yeah, it's been it a generation on the nursing side and both your daughters you yourself and your mom everybody yeah. on the pharmaceutical side yeah so it's interesting and and thank you because i know without people in the right positions without the nurses we wouldn't have been where we are today in the last year you know it, it's, it's so essential oh, we really are the heroes and really the pharmaceutical industry i don't know that we would have ever gotten out of the pandemic really the vaccines and all of the work that so many people did 24/7 to to get these vaccines to get them to market the supply chain side of it it really is now more than ever the healthcare field and all of these companies that are doing what they do every day are really respected and we really understand right the impact of what they're doing each and every day especially in, in the world of COVID and now hopefully post-COVID. While all of this was happening and you knew you wanted to be um, more in the healthcare side of it, mm-hmm. did you ever even for a day explore any other career options or just get um, attracted to somebody else who had chosen a career and thought, oh, why didn't I think of that? So, of course. I mean, I grew up I grew up in the 80s, right? I'm a total 80s girl and I loved Oprah Winfrey and I actually had a chance to meet her. So that was like my bucket list. So I love entertainment. I would love to be like a talk show host. I'd love to be doing this, like what we're doing and interviewing people. So I have so many different passions. And I still think about like one of my favorite TED Talks is the third act. It's, it's a great one. It's with Jane Fonda. So I think about life and acts. I'm in my second act. What do I want to do in my third act? So I'm still excited about the opportunity to do other things. While I love what I do and I have a tremendous passion for it, there's so many other passions that I have personally and professionally that I'm, I'm still hoping to be able to do. And, you know, it's funny because I, I say this all the time, like the, the two most important days in someone's life, the day that you're born and the day that you find out why you're put on this earth, right? There's so many people who sadly leave this world and never knew really why they were there. And that's sort of like what we need to be doing from the moment we raise children, right? Why were you put here? You know, what is your passion? What is your purpose? And if you can find it and give it away to everybody, that's like the gift. Unfortunately, I think so many people, you know, don't have the right path to get there. And if you don't know where you're going, every road takes you there. <laughs> so they, they get off path and they're never really able to find, you know, why they were put here. That's our journey. There's so many things that I want to do. I wish I could be a million things, but I can't. So I do them on the side, like doing this with you, mentoring women and young women and all people, men as well, and helping them through their career journey is something extremely important to me. So any opportunity that I have to impart whatever little wisdom that I have, I want to do because I think it was, you know, harder for us as when we were younger and entering into corporate America, we, we didn't have a lot of female mentorship. There weren't a lot of women in the C-suite, right? When we kind of entered into the workforce. So it's hard to be what you can't see today. It's very different. That's also a very big passion of mine. And that's why I'm happy to be here with you, especially for the younger women. It's really, really important that that next generation entering into the workforce is armed with that confidence, right? Fearlessness 
that's really needed. And unfortunately, I think some women, it's still hard to overcome some of the things that we were taught, right? When we were young girls, yeah. women, um, you know, good things come to those who wait, be patient, be a good girl, you know, all these things that we're taught. And unfortunately, I think when you get into business, it's the antithesis of that. You can't be liked by everybody. It's not a possibility. You know, all of those things don't necessarily always equal success. We have to unlearn a lot of behaviors and feel uncomfortable, like learn to be comfortable. In fact, what I have to show you, I don't know if you could see it here, I'm wearing my favorite shirt and it says to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I wore it on purpose, my Peloton's in back of me. One of the instructors always talks about, you have to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. But I think about when you're uncomfortable, you walk into a room, you don't know anybody and you're like, oh my God, like I, it's so uncomfortable or you're starting a new job and you don't want to say something because like, I'm afraid to ask that question. I'm afraid to say something. I'll sound stupid because you're uncomfortable because you're not expert yet, right? In whatever it is. So the only way to really grow is to constantly put yourself into situations that you're uncomfortable. Everything that's green grows and everything that's ripe rots. So the moment you could say, oh, you know what? I could do my job with my hands tied behind my back, with my blindfold on, then it's time for you to switch jobs, right? Because you're not growing. You're just doing more of the same. And we have to push ourselves to feel uncomfortable because no one wants to feel uncomfortable. We want everyone to have comfort, our children, comfort a baby. And we have to feel more comfortable being in that out of our comfort zone. That's our growth. That's where we really achieve what we were put here to do. So there's that interesting balance. You don't want to make everyone feel uncomfortable, but you have to learn how to feel uncomfortable. To your point, it's it's such a oxymoron kind of a thing, you know? It is. But it is so important. So you brought up a couple of good points. So I'll come yeah. back to the mentorship because I know you are yeah. big on it. So I want to ask you a couple of questions on there. But you also mentioned path. If you had to choose a different path to get where you are today, looking back now, what would you have done differently? And what would you advise somebody starting out their career now to focus on, to get to where you are in the best way possible? So I'm going to share something. I won't share names. But just before I got on this, a very talented young woman who is very important to me, hopefully she'll watch this and she'll know it's her, reached out to me for some mentorship, right? This is someone who I've known very early in her career and this is why you're asking about a path, right? Our value, right? I, and this is something um, I share with my daughters. Like if you walk into an Italian restaurant or a bakery and you, you walk in, you're like, oh, it smells so good, right? You smell, you know, uh, whatever it is, the barbecue or whatever. But the person in the bakery or the person in the barbecue, they don't smell it. Submerged or emerged in the smell and they can't smell it. When you come in because you're new to it, you smell it. So sometimes when you stay in a place too long, right, they don't smell you anymore. They just take you for granted and they may not see your value. So, you know, I said to the young woman um, who's a very close friend, I think a future superstar for sure. Anytime an organization or a person in your life, this, this means your family, friends don't see your value. What happens? You get angry. Right. So if I were to look back at my path and I've been in many personal and professional situations over the years where I recognize my value was not recognized and you get angry. Woe is me. You know, you play victim. Right. I'm the victim. Why does this always happen to me? Every situation, the same thing happens. No one values me. But my cousin said to me, you take yourself wherever you go. 
right? So what's the commonality in every situation? You. So if they're not valuing you, what do you do? You leave because you can't make somebody value you. They do, or they, I'm not saying you don't try hard in your job to achieve results that will give you value. I'm not saying that, but if you do all of those things and it still equals you're being bypassed, you're not getting what you need, staying longer is not going to make a difference, right? You can't change how someone views you. You can only change the situation that you're in by acting differently. And you can't be insane. Insane is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Like this time I'm going to do it and they're going to appreciate me. They're going to see me. They're not. So I think if I were to go back, I would have recognized sooner in many aspects of my life, personally and professionally, when it was time to exit. You want to exit like Jerry Seinfeld on a high note. You don't want to exit when they want you to leave. You want to go on your own terms. And I'm talking not just professional, I'm talking personal. You are driving, right? The car and you're in control. So if I were to look back, many of those moments have shown their head to me. And sometimes I threw a blind eye because why? I was comfortable. And I'm not just sharing with all of you today, because I'm perfect. I'm not, I'm a work in progress. And I'm only kind of retrospecting what I would have done if I knew then what I know now. That's the key. So if you say, if you were to look back, I wish I was more fearless. I wish I was more fierce. I wish I had more confidence in myself, even though I thought I did, I still had this imposter syndrome. When I really pushed myself I still questioned, it's like Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, like a great book, um, ladies and men, if you haven't read it, Sheryl Sandberg talked about her interviewing for the Facebook role with Mark Zuckerberg. And, you know, she talks in the book, which I think is such an important thing for women knowing your value. I guess Mark Zuckerberg gave her an offer and she came home to talk to her husband with the offer. And she's like, oh my God, that's the most coveted job, you know, in the world. And she got it. So she went over the offer with her husband and her brother-in-law and they looked at the offer and she's like, I can't even believe it. She's like, I'm taking it. And her husband and brother-in-law said to her, well, what are you going to ask for? Are you going to ask for more of this, more of that? She's like, ask for, I'm just lucky to have this job. And, and they said, well, you're leaving something on the plate. You're going to be running this man's company, the biggest company. And what did you leave on the table? She didn't disclose what she asked for, but she went back and she asked for, and she's like, now my whole lineage is going to live differently because of what I asked for. And if they didn't push her, the men in, in her life, she would have just taken whatever was given because we're like, we're just lucky to have this. And this is an accomplished, top-notch, C-suite woman. We all you know, struggle with our worth, asking for more. You know, do I have enough? I'm just lucky to have this. And sometimes men, not all men, have no problem. They look at a job description and there are 12 attributes you need for the job. And they might have two of them. They say, I'm, I'm qualified for this job. They have two of the 10. A woman has nine of the 10 and she's missing one of the job description that she can't check off. Like I don't have analytical experience. And she's like, well, I can't apply for it. I don't meet every one of the criteria. <laughs> so in hindsight, women sometimes are our own worst enemies. It, it might be because we studied ballet or ice skating and things that were about us and not teams. Maybe, I don't know, but there's just something missing in some of the way that we process our own worth. It's very interesting that you mentioned that. In another interview, recent interview, we were talking about something very similar that, mm -hmm. you know, men work and they go in packs. Like they're very used to having well, that group around. The boys, they, they, what do they call the boys club? Where's the girls club? Yeah, and, and I think it's time to change that. It's time to have those 
girls clubs, the women's club that are supporting each other as one. It's hard to sometimes break through barriers as a group. It's so much easier. That's what you and I are here to do. This is why you're doing what you're doing. And that's why we do what we do um, aside from our daytime jobs, because we have to change who's going to do it. If not now, when it's incumbent upon us to do it. You have daughters. I have daughters. We owe it not only to ourselves because we have a long career you know, ahead of us, but we owe it to that generation. So the doors will open differently for them that they don't have to go through the same school of hard knocks, right? That we went through. It's funny. I was in, um, and I'm sure, you know, you've had many situations. I was listening to uh, many years ago, a contemporary of mine um, talk to young women in the workforce. And, you know, she must've said something at at a conference, like, you know, I missed this many recitals, all the soccer to be where I am today. I gave up so much. Right. She, she was very honest. She said, I gave up everything. I sent my kids to boarding school. I missed, you know, I had someone else raising my kids so I could be here. This is what she was sharing. And I'm thinking to myself, I was a younger woman at the time with young kids. And I'm like, if that's what I have to do, I don't want it. I don't want it that badly. And I only think, why should the next generation even have to do that? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you could be a great mom and still be successful at work. I don't know that you have to give up one in order to have the other. And I hope not today, 20 years ago, right? We've been working for maybe, maybe, but today it shouldn't be not with technology, not with, you know, everything that we have, women shouldn't be forced to make the, or men, it's not even just a woman, men too. They want to be active participants. And I think when young women think about like, what do I want to do with my career? You have to think about if you want a family, what type of career track should you select that will give you some flexibility? It's really, really important. So there's so much to think about as you think about your life in, in, in totality, not just the silos of personal life and then professional life, because they're completely intertwined, especially today. And it also goes back to something you said earlier. We try to have nine out of 10 things done to perfection before we want to move forward. Exactly. And sometimes maybe it's that attitude too, like, it's okay to not be perfect in everything. You don't have to be the perfect mom. You don't have to be the perfect employee. And we're never going to be the perfect anything. What is perfect? Nothing is perfect. You know, there's a saying like, like, don't let perfect get in the way of good. Most of the time, good is good enough. Really, it really is. And perfection is an enemy. It can be an enemy, especially in a world of filters, right? If you think about Snapchat and you think about TikTok and all the filters that we're literally placing on ourselves, like, right, even just the way I look, I'm looking at myself right now, I have no makeup on. Not, I'm not saying I don't care what I look like, please don't take me wrong, but that's not my priority. Like, I care more about the content and the inner workings of who I am than the outside shell because the outside shell goes away. I mean, that's not why someone is attracted to you. Someone's attracted to you for who you are inside. And I'm not saying you shouldn't care about what you look like, but I'm saying sometimes we, we put so much emphasis on the cover of the book that we forget that the inside pages, the chapters are who we are. It's not just a, a fancy, you know, slick book cover, all sizzle, no steak. What's inside is, is really the content that is like forging our life path, right? And we're so worried about what is the outside world? How does it look to everyone else? I'm a culprit of it myself, social media. I always say, I wish my life was as good as it looked on Facebook. I mean, on Facebook, my daughter did this or we did this family vacation. I'm not sharing like, I just got into a huge fight with my daughter or, you know, uh, somebody just snubbed me. You know, like there's a million things that go on that are negative, but we don't choose 
to highlight those on our social media. Most people, right, we're just highlighting the wonderful parts about our life. And, and that's great, but that's one dimension, a life of a That's so true. Just, yeah, it, it's all know, the positives like with no negatives to balance it out. No fair balance. No fair balance. And in our job, it's all about the balance. So, and, it, and I think it's indicative of life. It really is. Because, you know, for young women, this is a marathon. It's a long life with lots of hills and, and valleys and peaks. And it's not always going to be easy. And I think even as um, a professional and as a, a parent, we can't make it so that the next, this generation thinks it's easy because it's not. There's nothing about life that's easier and it's nothing worth having that's easy, right? Whatever it is, it, it might be your degree. It, it might be a relationship. Everything takes investment. There is very, very few times there is an easy path. There's some people who are born into a ton of money. It's a little bit easier, sure. But most people are not that privileged and the rest of us have to work you know, very, very hard. It takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears and people only see once you achieve whatever it is, they don't realize what it took for you and the backstory to get there. I think it's Malcolm Gladwell who talks about it takes uh, 10,000 hours to be an expert in something. I used to quote that to my daughter when she was doing violin. I'm like, if you want to be the expert, you need to be practicing 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours, it's a lot. But if you love something, right, it's a labor of love, then it doesn't feel like a burden. And I think when you think about career, if you're lucky enough to be talked about, you know, what would you do differently? Like if I could be Oprah Winfrey and I could do this every day, I would never feel like I was working. Like I wouldn't, I don't really feel like I'm working even in the job that I have now, but I really wouldn't feel like I was working if I were talking to people like you all day long, helping other people. That would be like something if you, I would do for free. And if you're lucky enough to have a job that you would do it for free, then you've hit the jackpot because you're making an amazing living doing something you're so passionate about that you do it for free. Most people can't do that. They do it because they need the money. And that's what most people do in their jobs. If you find out what you're great at and you could give it to everybody, that's what you're responsible for doing. I think it also goes back to the multiple sources of joy. You know, some things you do to pay the bills, but as long as you have other things that really keep you motivated going, sometimes that's the way to go. If you can't find the love in what you do and you're stuck in a job doing something that's the only training you have had in your life, find other things that make you happy. 100%. Because sometimes if you take that passion project that you love and then you decide to do what we talked about this full time, you hate it. I had a friend who loved photography and like, I want to do, you know, photography. And then you're doing weddings and all these things. And you're like, this is annoying because I love doing it because I didn't do it all the time. So it was like a novelty and it was a passion. And then when you do it full time, you're like, I don't like this anymore. I think it is important. You know, you have a job that you're paid for. Hopefully you love it. You make money and it gives you what you need, but having those passion projects are very, very important, very important. And when you talk about the third act, it could lead you to a different path in that third act. If you're living to 90 years old, it's a very different, you know, time frame that we did like from our parents who were living to 75. If you have, you know, an extra 20 years, potentially think about 20 years, what you could do in that time. If you set the right path in your second act to really make that difference in, in that third act, it's fascinating. Previous generations didn't have the privilege of even thinking about right? With modern medicine and our world today, it really is a gift 
And we might be the first generation of working women that actually have this opportunity. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what we do with that gift. And if we're mindful and intentional enough to really make a difference with it. I feel we are really fortunate, at least you and I in this generation, we have so many things. I've seen the dial-up phones with the rotary. Yeah, well, we're on it. much contemporary, so yeah. we've seen a lot. From rotary phone to www. I'm like, what is that? So, you know, from there to here where we are today, everything's Bluetooth, everything is IoT. We have seen it all. Listen, I remember my first laptop, and I think it was like 14.4, like you could hear it dialing up. Remember? I remember my my first phone, my first BlackBerry, my first Blueberry, you know, my first smartphone. But I think the downside of that for this next generation is that you have to unplug. Mm -hmm. It is so unhealthy to just constantly physically and mentally be on. And early on in our careers, we didn't have laptops, we didn't have fax machines, and we didn't have phones. So we left work and work was done. Mom and dad came home from work and had dinner and didn't have the poles of this constantly, you know, going off. And then the expectation that within 10 minutes, you're going to respond. That's what we have to change because we're going to kill a generation and we're going to kill not just the parents, but the children, because the children never feel like they're important enough to have their parents' full attention. And that is another regret that I have, because I was always trying to, when I was at home, I was worried about work. When I was at work, I was worried about home. And we're never really in the moment. We're always just pulled in so many directions, never giving any of them our full attention. That is definitely a regret. And if I could, you know, have a rewind button I would have been much more intentional both places with what I was doing at that time, not splintered constantly. That is definitely a learned behavior, right? We were the first generation that had all this. So I think we were like the experiment and I'm hoping that it'll be better, that that we have definition for this next generation, that they define and have guardrails. This is my home time. This is my work time. And that they're always not interconnected, this leisure, work and leisure together. Do you feel like going through that myself a couple of years ago? I always felt I didn't have an option. I had to make it. So that tension was always there. And now looking back, you mm-hmm. always have an option and you'll always make it no matter how you get there. Don't stress because you will make it and it will be good at the end of it. Just spend to your point, you know, be in the moment. Look at our girls. They're, they're grown. You know, you'll always have the chance to work more. But those moments, those life moments that you miss, you don't get back. Now, there is going to be some you're going to miss, and and that's okay. Forgive yourself, right? Your kids might bring it up for the rest of your lives, but you need to forgive yourself because we can't be perfect, and we're not going to be perfect anywhere, but I agree with you. You know, we all work probably 200%, 150%. None of us are giving 100% because that's just who we are. If you gave 120 versus 150 and you gave yourself 30% more time, think about what you would give. Do you think anyone would really notice? They wouldn't. You notice. We are our own worst enemies. No one's putting that pressure on us. The pressure comes from ourselves. It comes from within. And we have to be careful because that's what our children see. Kids, whether they're cognizant of it or not, like my daughter, she'll kill me, but she just had um, her wisdom teeth pulled out and she had um, two dry sockets, which are unbelievably painful. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you. So I said to her, you can't go to work. You have to call out of work. You can't go to work with this kind of pain. She's like, I am going to work. So she kind of went back at me saying, that's the pot calling the kettle black. I'm doing what I saw you do. And then you're like, wow, I'm role modeling behavior. Some of it good, 
right? I want her to have a good work ethic. I want both girls to have good work ethics, but at the expense of themselves, no. Sometimes they don't say anything, but they're taking it in nonetheless. And it's coming out in their behavior. And then, you know, I'm sure you've said it. Oh my God, it turned into my mother. Like, how did this happen? Now I'm my mom. Interesting, as our kids get older, they get into their professional lives, how we view them as a parent and as a professional working with them. Like we are now in the workforce with our children. So you have Gen Z, our kids, you have Gen Y, the millennials, we're Gen X, right? I'm sure we're probably somewhere in Gen X. And then, you know, you have the baby boomers and then you have veterans. So you have like five or more generations in a workforce, which has never happened in the history of working. It's fascinating. And we all could learn something from each other. I think each of us brings something really unique to the workforce. And that reverse mentoring is so important because we learn just as much from the younger generations than they learn from us, right? So I think we really have to be extremely cognizant of what each of these generations brings in to the workforce and how we leverage them. Because I think together, it's like a beautiful symphony. A siloed, it could be very devastating. If you're the conductor, you know, how to make each of these generations sing beautifully and in concert with each other. I hate when someone says the younger generation, they don't have, no. I mean, every generation said that. In fact, when we were kids and we were entering in, the baby boomers looked at us, they're like, Gen X, they're, you know, they're the latchkey kids. They're the kids who don't want to collaborate. They do, you know, every generation says something about, the generation beneath them. And I think you have to be very careful of the stereotypes and just understand that each of these generations has something important to deliver to our personal and professional lives. And we just have to now leverage them. So mentorship is not only your passion, but it's a joy for you. Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. So how did that come about? And what is it that you really enjoy? People will say to me, it's amazing that you give so much and, and that you're, you're so generous with your time. But the truth is, it's actually a little selfish. Like I derive so much myself that it's not so selfless, right? It's not like, oh, I do this because I'm just such a great person. I do it because somehow it is giving me what I need to identify with myself and as a person. It somehow it fuels me. One of my friends just went for a job. She was negotiating. I said, ask for more. Just like Sheryl Sandberg, there's more on that table. If you don't ask for it, right, the answer is always no. It's always going to be no. But if I ask you, there's a 50-50 chance I'm going to get it. Why not do it? Right? We, we're so just happy to have it. Just lucky to be here. Women say lucky, lucky, lucky. Men don't say lucky. We say lucky. Why? It's not just luck. So when I was coming up through the corporate ladder, I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton. I had some really amazing women who were mentors to me, 100%. But there weren't a plethora of them, right? There were few and far between because there, were a lot, there weren't a lot of women in those roles to pull you up, right? The boys club was very prevalent, very prevalent. And there were a lot of amazing men who were mentors to me. So let me tell you, that's also very important that you not just have mentors who look like you. You, you need to think about from a DNI perspective, surrounding yourselves with people who don't think like you, who don't look like you, who aren't your same gender, right? That's again, the growth. It's so important. Even if you're LGBTQ, you need those straight alliances, right? You need people that are different than you. But because I didn't have a lot of them to lean in on, I always said, 
when I, you know, get to that point, when I'm in years into my career and experience, I want to play that role because I didn't have it. But it's like being a child and missing something from your family. I didn't have money or I didn't have these experiences. So when I arrive, whatever that means, I want to give it. And that's really where it derived from me, not having as much of it as I would have liked, although there were some people who were amazing and wanting to play that role for, for others. You know how like our parents used to say, I walked to school uphill both ways in a snowstorm with no shoes. You know, like they had these awful obstacles, but the American dream, at least the old, you know, the old American dream used to be like, I did this so you didn't have to. I don't believe or subscribe because I miss so much that I want that next generation to pay the price and they have to like pledges and, you know, that I, I don't want them to have to go through what we did. I want them to have it better. That's why it's so important to me. That's such a wonderful thought. Yeah, yeah. Making it easier for them. And, right. And it's wonderful that it actually gives you joy too. And listen, I wouldn't do it. I'm not selfless. I do it because it gives me joy. If it didn't give me joy, I don't think I would do it. So going back in the middle of your career, mm-hmm. were there instances where you thought you were not heard? And what were some of the things that really helped you overcome that? There were so many times I haven't been heard. You know, and early on in my career, when I felt that I wasn't heard, I would just not literally, figuratively speak louder right? Talk more, try to show my worth, but it goes back to the value. It took me many, many years to realize there are some situations I'm never going to change for whatever reason. And we'll say, oh, again, victim. It's so unfair. I'm seeing all these people get promoted and I'm still sitting here. Victim. So I just got out of that victim mentality and I really wanted to be more of a victor, right? I want to go from victim, what was me to, you know, literally victor. Being in control of the situation, the only thing you could do is change the way you're reacting to it. So what does that mean? You either leave or while you're in it, you change the way that you see it. I stopped defining my worth by the way others defined me. My worth came internally, how I viewed myself. So if I couldn't change the situation I was in, I changed my mindset. Mindset is such a powerful thing. Are there certain qualities that you think as women we should try to gain and then certain qualities that we should stay away from? Like um, the Pantene commercial, sorry, not sorry. You know, when I really am cognizant of how many times myself and other women say they're sorry throughout the day, it really diminishes our power. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen um, the Pantene commercials, you could just type in Google, sorry, not sorry. And they show women throughout the day and all of these like different business situations where they'll go to their boss's office. Like, oh, sorry to bother you, but oh, sorry, were you sitting here? Like all, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then they show every situation where they don't say, I'm sorry. They say, you have a moment for me? You want to sit here? Like, and you see the difference. And, and we, we're giving away our power. And even into a conference room, I will never allow someone to sit in the back. I will squeeze someone in to say, come on, sit here, right? Because that's what we're responsible for. Often we make ourselves small, literally and figuratively to sit. Oh, can I squeeze in here? Men, and they're not cognizant of it. This is not men or bad women or good. This I don't mean it this way. They take up space. They come in, they spread their legs, they put their stuff out on the table and they're spread out. It, it, to do it again, I would want to be more fierce and I would want to walk in, own a seat at the table, take up the space, not be man-terrupted or mansplained. And really, and I mean that because, you know, it's not hackneyed, it happens not as much today, because I think the different generations coming in are very respectful. But early on in the 80s and 90s, you know, when we were the only women sitting at that table, 
if everyone looks one way and you look differently, you don't have that same confidence. Now, every, there's all women around the table. Sometimes there's more women than men, right? Might be the opposite now, more diversity. I mean, we're both diverse women. And, you know, when you're a diverse woman coming in, it's even more challenging. Back when we came into the workforce and today, gratefully, there's tons of diverse women. So now we fit in, right? We, we see people like us. So it's comfortable, but it was uncomfortable when you're the only one that looks like you. I was in work and if m- one of my friends sees this, so we have um, employee resource groups you know, at work and there was, um, I helped develop one or start one for black and Hispanic. So someone said to us, why do you need these employee resource groups? You know, like w- what is the purpose? So one of my friends said to the man who asked, he, she's like, if you walked into the office, 98% of the people were black and there were you and five other white people. Imagine what that feels like. Just just t- take a second and reverse it out of what it feels like and what opportunities are there for us to feel more included, inclusive. You know, it was very interesting and it wasn't done in a way that was disrespectful. It was just like, take a moment to think about what it feels like to be different. And unless you are different, it's not this person's fault. He was seeking to understand. It wasn't rude, but he was like, I get it. He's like, I can't even imagine. I'm walking in and everybody is like this and I am the one that's different. Until you are the one that's different, you don't get it. It, It's hard to understand. Like we're constantly evolving. Like every day is a new opportunity for us to stand in someone else's shoes, right? For us to think about what is it like to be this person? How can we be better? How can we do more, right? Where we welcome different people and we want their opinions. Let's say we're in the office And there's somebody, you know, that really has a lot to contribute. They don't say anything. We have to say, Divya, I want to hear what you think about this. You have to sometimes pull it out and say, I really value your opinion. I'd love to hear what you think. And and other people are going on and on and on. And sometimes you have to say, I'd love to hear. And and that's just enough for the person to say, thank you. I do. And then they'll share it. Right. But we have to be that kind of leader where we have to think about, we have to lead from behind not from the front, right? Leader, we think I'm in the front. Everyone follow me, follow the leader, like the little kids used to do. But real powerful leadership is actually leading from behind. It's that gentle push. It's pushing everyone. Someone might not see you. They don't know you're behind. And that's the best leadership because it's not like the pound on the chest. Look at me. You know, it's the gentle behind the scene leader that is making these amazing future leaders that is is in the back. They might not have ever arrived to be that, but but they've helped all the others move forward. It's like an unsung or unspoken hero. Those are the best leaders because they're humble. So true. And this reminds me, one of my ex-colleagues, awesome gentleman, he was telling me when he started, he processes, you know, we all process information differently. So he would actually sit back and think through the whole discussion before he would open his mouth. And he's like, before I could get in my thoughts, they had moved topics. So it's like, I was always playing the catch up game. And then he had a mentor who said, you know what, it's okay. You don't need to process everything, but just tell them, I'm thinking this through and I'll either come back or even if they've changed topic, come back and say, I'll follow up with you one-on-one because I have some ideas too. If you're running short of time, he's like, make sure you're heard. And that kind of really helped him. And when you were talking about this, I was like, that's always been in the back of my mind as a leader. There are people It's not that they don't know what they're talking about or they don't have anything to say. They just process it differently. 100%. And sometimes even if they are processing it, they're afraid that they're not going to sound articulate. They can't deliver it in 
a way that's influential and they don't want to be wrong. They're fearful for people to look at them and say, that was stupid, right? Because we don't want to be judged and we don't want to be what? Uncomfortable, right? Like we always go through every what if, what if you're successful? What if you get it? What if all your dreams come true? (laughs) What if? Not like, what if I'm always waiting for my other shoe to drop, right? When things go good or well, you're like, well, this is too good. Um, Something horrible is going to have to happen. What if it doesn't? And again, I don't do this. I'm being honest, uh, but I'm pushing myself to try to do it, right? It's an unhealthy way to live, thinking and overanalyzing and worrying about what people think and and judging you. And and the truth of the matter is, we're thinking more of ourselves than others are thinking about us because no one's even thinking about it. It'll be interesting to see as, you know, these young women who are looking at these podcasts, you know, what then they do for that next generation, right? If Z comes in, whatever that next generation is, and I don't think they've been named yet, what path are they forging to help that next generation? Because the generation above us was the first generation in the workforce. There wasn't a generation before the baby boomers working in professional jobs. I had shared that my mom was a nurse. And when I was a little girl growing up in the seventies and eighties, first of all, very few women worked and, and, you know, women were in professional jobs, but those that were working were nurses, social workers, teachers, secretary, right? They were in traditional women roles. That's very different than the women today. That's what's going to make a difference. So I can't wait to see like what your girls and my girls and, and these fierce women who come into the workforce, because they are going to make a difference. Like they're going to change things around. Like I think it was McKinsey and Lean In. They did um, a survey of equity, like gender equality or equity would happen in the workplace. And it might've just been the C-suite. And I think it was 100 years at the current rate because women are actually exiting the workforce and not moving up the ladder or going sideways because of these issues. So we're not making headway here as women. There's more of us and volume, but we're still not representative where we need to be in higher positions and certainly not in the C-suite. So we still have a lot of opportunity and it's not going to be easy, but I'm hoping we see improvement because right now we're we're still not seeing the improvement we should see. I mean, we've been, I've been working for 30 years. I don't know that that much has honestly changed, except there's more of us that has changed more women going to medical school, more women in law school, more women graduating college. There's more of us and we're pushing ourselves forward, but that should equate to more leadership, more manager roles, more C-suite roles. And that still isn't happening the way it should be. So that's the dream. In closing, any final comments or thoughts for our listeners? Final thought really has to do with being very introspective, taking time out of your day and being very mindful in your approach to how you go about your life. I feel like so many people in the car, but they're not driving it. People will say, I don't know how I ended up here. It it just happened. I think we just need to be more intentional in what you want to do, who you want to be. And that's personally and professionally. We write brand plans and, you know, we go to a financial planner, but what is your plan for your life? If you were to sit down and I was to help you become a life planner, what would you want that life to be? And how do you begin with the end of mind? It's like Stephen Covey, right? Begin with the end in mind, plan your life. Where do you want to be? Work backwards, you know, to get there. It's morbid, but it's true. It's like you are at my funeral. What would I want to hear you say? How clean your house was? Clearly, you 
could see mine isn't, you know, how great your clothes were. No, like what impact did you make on people? What would you want them to say about you? That's how you have to live your life. I always say no one plans to fail. They fail to plan right? In every situation. So plan. That's my words of wisdom. Plan. You might not get there, but without that thoughtful road, it's a heck of a lot harder. Thank you so much for your time, Cynthia. It was awesome. And it was so nice chatting with you. Same here. Thank you so much.